Matthew 11 and verse number 20, if you would, if you're there, say amen. amen. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Notice the value of this uh, as he is unfolding this. That he did not do mighty works so they could say he was mighty. He did mighty works so they would repent. And they did not repent. And so he began to reprove them. Because he said, I have worked in your midst. And you haven't changed directions. So he said, woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. That's a mouthful. We'll talk about that in a minute. He said, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And he said, and you, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, you shall be brought down to hell or to the lowest of low places. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable. This is so powerful. It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now you can read into this how you want to, but I'm going to tell you what Jesus is saying right here. He said eternity is going to be more difficult for some folks. He said hell's going to be a little hotter for some people than it is for others. Because once you have seen what we have seen, there is no reason at all for you not to turn your heart towards him. I'm going to preach to you tonight with the help of the Lord. And I'm going to need you to bind together in prayer with me before I start tonight. But I want to preach tonight, had Sodom seen. Had Sodom seen. Could we just bind together right now, lift our voices and our hearts to the Lord. Would you do that? Thank you, Lord. hunger for you Lord we hunger for you God we're desperate for you God we want you Jesus we want you Jesus we need you Lord hallelujah would you give the Lord a 47th Psalm right now praise God praise God praise God praise God Lord bless you you may be seated as I said, I've been, I've been kind of stuck coming back to Matthew 11. Uh, it has not been a, a part of my daily 
Bible reading as far as staying in my plan trying to get done for the year. But I keep, I keep getting stuck and coming back to it. Matthew 11 is a very unique chapter because at first glance, uh, it seems as though that this chapter is preached uh, part and parcel. It's like they either preach about John the Baptist or they preach about the unrepentant cities or they'll draw the text from, uh, come unto me all you that are heavy laden. Right? It's like there's really no flow to the chapter. It doesn't make a lot of sense because these feel like almost three separate ideas within the chapter. But God doesn't do anything by accident. And God doesn't waste words. And when you read the flow together, it literally becomes one narrative that unfolds and it makes so much sense. And so to understand the context of where we are tonight, you must begin at the beginning of the chapter to where the scripture said that John the Baptist was in prison and he heard in the second verse, he heard the works of Christ. He was sitting in the prison of isolation and he heard that Jesus was working. And so he takes two of his disciples and sends them into where Jesus was working in the city And he asked this powerful question. He said, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? I used to look at this and feel as though for some reason that John was questioning the power of Jesus. But I realized in the frailty of humanity as a man and as a minister of the gospel that John was probably not questioning the power of Jesus John was actually questioning himself. He was questioning what he had always preached. He was questioning what he had always believed. John the Baptist was so interesting in the dynamic of his ministry because, uh, as I've said so many times, John was born into the world with a revelation that nobody else had like John. John is the only one in the scripture that we see that was literally filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. When Mary walked into the room and had the Messiah in her belly, the Bible said that the babe who Elizabeth was pregnant with, six months pregnant, when she was pregnant with John the Baptist, the Bible said that when Mary walked in and had Jesus in her belly, that the baby or John that was in the womb of Elizabeth leapt And was filled with the Holy Ghost. John recognized the power of Jesus before he was ever born. There was something so powerful about what Mary was expecting. That when she walked into the room, John could not contain what he felt in his mother's womb. And the Bible said that he leapt. I want to tell you what I believe tonight. If you get in the presence of this sweet God that we know and love and serve, it'll do something to you. John couldn't be still in the womb and you won't be still here tonight. I still believe that the Holy Ghost, it'll make you move. It'll make you shout. It'll make you dance. I'm here to preach to you tonight that if the Holy Ghost don't make you move, then you didn't get the Holy Ghost. These people crack me up. Stand there and be like, 
Hey, folks, listen. I don't know how many of you ever touched something hot. But if you reach up there and touch something that's hot, you move quick. And it was John who said, I'm baptizing you with water under repentance. He said, but there's one coming after me who is mightier than I. He said, I'm not even worthy to reach up and unbuckle his shoes. He is so mighty. And he said, he is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John was speaking as a voice of experience because when Mary walked into the room, I don't think you're ready for what I'm telling you right now. When Mary walked into that room, the Spirit of God that dwelled in the body of Christ, it was that Holy Ghost and fire. And and Mary walked in the room and John said, Whoa, I felt something in here that I've never felt in my mother's womb. Can I tell you, I still believe that when Jesus walks in the room, the atmosphere changes. When Jesus walks in the room, it's a different atmosphere than it was before he got there. He is mightier than I. John was a man full of revelation. There's really, there's really no way that we could, in summation tonight, even begin to tap into the revelation that John had. It's very interesting to know John's background, where he came from, how he worked. It is believed that in the three years that he went into the wilderness that he was more than likely uh, hanging with the Qumranites, uh, which were people. I've, we've been to Qumran. We've seen it. It's a place where uh, they were a holy people. They were separated people. They had, they had isolated themselves in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, much of what uh, the Jewish religion uh, understands as, as mikvah or baptism by water, which we have brought in baptism by immersion in Jesus' name. But most of that teaching and understanding came from Qumran. If you go into the, the houses and, and the places of worship in Qumran that they have dug up, that the archaeologists have dug up, uh, you can see there that there are uh, several places where steps go down into the earth, into what was a pool at that time. And they were a people that believed in the power of purification through baptism. It's very interesting to see they were people that were extravagantly given to the idea of purification. And they were also scribes that believed in the power of keeping the word pure. They knew that there was, there was coming a time in Jerusalem that it was going to be turned upside down and so they did everything that they could to preserve the word of God and it's believed that that was the atmosphere that John was in. John spent three years among a group of people who all he heard every day was be pure, repent, let your heart be right and keep the word pure. Whatever you got to do, keep the word right, keep the word pure and so John comes walking out of a wilderness where the only atmosphere that he's been in is the word is right there is nothing else if you start to get off the path baptize yourself whatever you got to do and John walks into the religious systems that had been established in Jerusalem of people that studied the same word that he had studied but they had somehow become so intoxicated with who they were that they forgot the value of the pure word of God and John comes walking out listen John wasn't preaching repentance to the Romans 
John didn't come out of the wilderness preaching repentance to the world. John came out of the wilderness preaching repentance to the Pharisees. John came out of the wilderness preaching to the people that thought they had all the answers and had it all together. And he was saying to them, there's more to this God than you can see. There's more to God than you can understand. You've got the letter of the law down, but you're missing the spirit of the law. So John, John, he's a unique man, and, and, and he's standing in this revelation. He's got a powerful revelation that nobody else, and literally nobody else in the world has like John has it. Nobody else has got it like John has got it. And he's standing in the water doing what he had seen from the Cumanites, and he's baptizing people, not in Jesus' name, but under repentance. And we see that this is actually something that's going to come into play later in the book of Acts, the 19th chapter, where some of his disciples are found that have been baptized under repentance. And they were asked by the apostle, how were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. He said, well, John baptized unto repentance. And he told him, he said, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. John knew that there was one coming after him that was greater but he had to do everything that he could do before the Messiah was revealed what are you saying pastor I'm saying to you tonight that until we get answers in the one that is to come we've got to do what we know to do until he shows up John didn't just sit back with the revelation of who Jesus was and say, when he shows up, I'll tell somebody. When he shows up, I'll testify. John said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to testify of him until he comes. I'm going to testify of him until he shows up. And when Jesus walks on the scene, he finds John testifying of the one that is to come. I don't say this to be mean tonight, but we got way too many people in Pentecost waiting on heaven. They're waiting for the Lord to show up to testify. I know, I get it. I was raised in this thing. I've heard it all my life. Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? We'll sing and shout and dance about when we get over yonder. But we're not going to sing and shout and dance about over here. Oh boy, it's quiet up in here. Listen, if you can't figure out how to get happy here, don't you worry about getting happy over there. Don't you think when you get a glorified body, you're going to give God your best praise if you won't give him the best praise with what you've got right now. You can't come to the house of the Lord and sit there like you've been baptized in pickle juice and expect that you're going to make heaven your home. I feel like telling you tonight, I can't wait to go to heaven, but I'm not going to wait till I get there. I'm going to rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. I'm going to have Holy Ghost revival until he comes. I'm going to preach about it until he comes. I'm going to sing of his goodness until he comes. Well, you people are just too extravagant about your worship. I don't think you understand. Brother Monday said it tonight. There's a, there's a song, a little tag that's out right now. If you'd been through what I'd been through, you would be dancing too. Anybody heard it? 
If you've been through, but I've been through, you would be dancing too. And I love it because people will sing that and stand there. funny we'll sing and shout and dance about we get over young back in the 80s brother Tom Trimble wrote a song that brother Carol Magruder got a hold of and it became a Magruder staple he wrote a song and said I'm just warming up he said, I went to visit a church, and they were quiet as they could be. There was nobody praising the Lord, nobody but me. They said that I was emotional, and I kind of felt out of place. But when I come to church, I don't just come to take up space. He said, I'm just warming up. I'm just warming up. I'm just warming up for that meeting in the sky. And if you think I'm strange, don't wait on me to change. I'm just warming up until I reach the other side. I can hear it today just like it was yesterday. Brother Carol Magruder had seen it when I reach those pearly gates. And they swing open wide. I'm going to leap for joy because I've reached the other side. All my pain and sorrow up there I will forget. And this is my favorite. And if you think I shout down here, you ain't seen nothing yet. I want to tell you I'm just warming up. I believe Jesus is coming, but I'm going to be warmed up when he gets here. I'm not going to stand around and wait on the rapture. I'm going to tell somebody of his goodness. Well, I'm afraid if I worship, people are going to look funny at me. Let them look, baby. I'm afraid if I dance the way I feel, people are going to think I'm funny. Let them think you're funny then. Let them talk about you. This is what I know. There is no joy like the joy you find in the presence of the Lord. My Bible said that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness. Fullness. John was full of revelation, but he wasn't just full of revelation. He was full of boldness. Oh, God, I've come to preach tonight. I said he wasn't just full of revelation. He was full of boldness. It doesn't matter how much revelation you have if your mouth is sealed closed and you don't want to tell nobody about it. 
John didn't live his life walking around saying, I've got revelation. I've got revelation. I've got revelation. No, John went down to the river and the crowds gathered around and he said, I want to tell you about the one that's coming after me. He is mightier than I. You know what you and I ought to be doing everywhere we go? We ought to be telling somebody there's one that's coming after us and you got to be ready when he comes. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. And John's, John's word, go ahead, Brother Small, get all you want. Lest we ever forget how good God's been. Come on, did he bring you out of the miry clay? Did he set your feet on a solid rock? Did he establish your going? Your worship is too wild. You dance too much. You're too boisterous in the way you worship. I feel like old David. When Michael looked at him and said, you made yourself look like a fool. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'll make myself more vile than this. Hey, I want to tell you, I ain't got time for people that sit around and criticize worshipers. I want worshipers in the house that'll give God their best. Hallelujah. Some people don't understand why we act the way we do. But if you've been delivered from dead, dry, boring religion, you are so glad when you drink of that fountain that never shall run dry, you got to tell somebody about it. Hallelujah. You can stand or be seated, whatever you feel. So here's John. John the Baptist. John's full of revelation. And he's also full of boldness. I'm sorry. I don't say this tonight for the sake of exclusivity, but I'm saying it tonight because I believe in the power of the word, there is no revelation like the revelation of who he is. None. There is no greater revelation in the entire world than the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. 
period. When you know who he is, then you start realizing who you are. When you realize who he is, the devil starts getting worried because James said even the devils know that there is one God and they tremble. It's the greatest revelation that a man could have, that a woman could have. But if we've got the revelation of who he is, and the only time we rejoice about it is when we're together. We are missing the main reason for why we have it. He didn't fill us with the Holy Ghost so we could get goosebumps. You know, I thank God for the aisle runners, the dancers, and the shouters. But that's not the reason why he filled me with the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost. That means everywhere you go, if you really believe on him, as the Bible said, water's going to be pouring out of you. Living water. When you walk into Starbucks, living water. When you walk into your schoolhouse, living water. When you walk into your job, living water. It's going to flow out of your belly. Somebody shout amen. So here he is, full of revelation and full of boldness. Do it again, God. I said, do it again, God. John was unique because he was, he was prophetic by nature. As a matter of fact, he is the fulfillment of the prophetic word that Elijah would come again. And Jesus said that John Baptist came in the power of the mantle of Elijah. And he stands in the water, baptizing people under repentance. And the Bible said that Jesus came walking up on the banks that day of the river. And when John saw him, he boldly proclaimed out of his mouth, Behold, the Lamb of God. I wish so bad that we would live out loud so much so that everywhere we go, when we walk into places, people would see the difference and they would feel the difference. Oh, God. Dad and I were just with a big group of preachers and uh, we, we went to uh, Missouri. There was like 20, 24 of us. And... Uh, None of us were dressed in suits. We weren't, we weren't dressed up. You know, we were just wearing everyday clothes. We walked into this restaurant, and I, I was with some of the guys, and somebody said, are you guys all ministers? And the guy looked at me and said, man, how in the world do they know that? I mean, like, wearing polo shirts and pants. How do they know that? I'm going to tell you how they know it. When you walk in, they better feel the room change. I would 
get worried. I would really get worried if I went for a long streak and walked in somewhere and somebody didn't ask me, are you Pentecostal? We walked into Taco Bell one night because it's nothing but the best for my family. <laughs> you can't hide money. <laughs> I walked into Taco Bell, my wife and three daughters ordered, and then I came up to order mine and pay the bill. So I started talking to this kid, and uh, I said, are you from Anderson? He said, no, sir, I'm here for college. I said, oh, that's cool, man. So I pastor a church here in town. He said, I know the Pentecostal church. I said, how'd you know that? He said, the dresses. Which I did not have on. There, there needs to be a difference. When we walk in place, listen. I, I, I get tired. I get tired of the stigma that Pentecost is built around what you can't do. I don't want to be a part of something that's got all them rules and restrict. No. When you walk in, people ought to feel the liberty that you walk in. I ought to feel it. If you believe that, shout amen. Here he is, the Lamb of God. I got to hurry. Takes away the sins of the world. That's him. This is the one I've been telling you about. John standing in that water, literally living out the moment he was born for. And then, because he stood against King Herod, sleeping with his brother's wife and taking her as his own, the scripture said that they locked him up, and they put him in jail, and he asked his stepdaughter, he said, he got drunk one night, and he said, I'll give you anything you want, up to half the kingdom if you'll dance for us. She got to dancing. He got sober. She said, you told me you'd give me up to half the kingdom. He said, well, what do you want? She said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so now John has been put into a prison. I'm going to preach to somebody in here tonight. I'm going to help somebody in here that's been struggling in your faith. Because now John is by himself. And he's in an atmosphere that's different. You know, it, it, was a, it was boldness when he's standing in the water and the Lamb of God is walking on the shore of the river. That, that's, that's boldness. But when you get by yourself and you're locked up, he called his disciples and he said, I've heard that Jesus is doing mighty works. So I need you guys to go ask him, are you who we've been looking for or should I start looking for somebody else. And I, I started wondering about this. Was, was John questioning Jesus? Or was John questioning himself? Was John at a place in his life where he was saying everything that I've preached. I'm not even sure I believe anymore. Because he hasn't brought me out. When your theology is based on the idea. That all he does is deliver you out of trouble. You're going to have a hard time believing what you said you believe when you're stuck in the storm. 
Your revelation of him cannot just be based on the ministry of extraction in your life. At some point, you've got to realize that this prison cell may be the will of God for where you are right now. So the disciples run to Jesus and they said, hey, hey, uh, John wants to know, are you him? Or should we start looking for somebody else? And Jesus begins to quote the prophet Isaiah. And he said, you go tell John that the blind receive their sight. He said, you go tell John that the lame walk. You tell John that the lepers are cleansed. You tell John that the deaf hear and that the dead are raised up. And that the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And then he stops and he says, and blessed are they that are not offended at me. He said, John is in a dangerous place right now. And I can tell that a spirit of offense is hovering in his life. Because when you get offended, you begin questioning the things that you used to preach and teach and believe and love. You got to be careful with that spirit of offense. Matthew 24 said that many would be offended. And then it said many would be deceived. It said that the spirit of offense would come. And then false Christ would rise and deceive many. You can believe what you want to. But I'm telling you, a false Christ can't deceive somebody who refuses to be offended. Can I, can I just preach to you and, and, and pastor you for just a minute and tell you that if you're going to make it to the rapture or you're going to make it across the, the, the chilly Jordan, you're going to have to get some thick skin in your life. There's some things you're going to have to go through and you're going to have to endure and you cannot let a spirit of offense make you question what you know to be the truth. This is proof that when you start to get offended, the dumbest place to go is home and stay home by yourself. When you get an offended spirit, you need to get around people that are happy. You need to walk away from all the pismires and walk away from all the negativity and join yourself up to somebody that loves to rejoice in the Lord always. You need to find somebody that loves Psalm 34. This says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually. Oh, God. He said, John, I need you to be careful. Because this spirit of offense is trying to creep in. And you are so close to being deceived. The other night, Dad and I were talking after that meeting on Friday night. He said, you know, I was thinking that when Jesus sent the word back to John, that it was the word that he sent back to John that reconnected him to the revelation that he had. That's the power of the word of God in your life. That when everything else in your world feels like sinking sand. Woo, you got to reconnect yourself with the word of God. That's been put in your life. Can I just tell you that old song still rings true in my world. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
Now, I know some people think that Jesus was down on John, but he wasn't. As a matter of fact, it was right after this that Jesus departed. And he made this statement. He said in verse 11, Verily, 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 I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. He said even though he had questions in his humanity, he is still a great man. Somebody in here needs to know tonight that the devil is still a liar. He's tried to tell you that it's over, that your greatest days are behind you. But I've come to tell you tonight, John, even in the struggle, you're still great. So Jesus starts moving. Verse 16, he said, where shall I liken this generation? It's like the children sitting in the markets calling to their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you haven't lamented. He was saying, nothing moves you. Can't find the right music to move you. Can't find the right story to move you emotionally. He said, there's something wrong with this generation. The music's got to be just right. And the story of the preacher has to sit just right on their emotions if they're going to move at all. Woo! said, we've played, we've piped for you, but you hadn't danced. Can I just ask you a sincere question tonight and you answer it in your heart? What would God have to do to move you? Who would have to be preaching for it to stir your spirit? What would the song have to sound like to make you dance like you used to dance? He said, these are, these are, these are, these are crazy people. He said, John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he had a devil. He said, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, Behold, he's gluttonous and a wine-bibber. And this part's horrible. Said he's friends with publicans and sinners. Oh. He's actually connected himself to somebody outside the kingdom of God to let him know the kingdom has come. Then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Because they repented not. This moved me. I keep coming back to this. Because I start reading this story. And I start reading this chapter. My spirit gets stirred up. I can't tell you how many times I've preached about Sodom in my life. I mean, Sodom's type and shadow of the world. It's dark. It was perverted. It, it, it was sexually disgusting. I mean, they were so, so jacked up. That when they saw angels come to Lot's house. The perverted men of the city came and, 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 and they tried to seduce the supernatural. Oh God. They saw those angels and they came and said, we want to be a part of that. You know, the spirit of the world is still like that. They, they want to seduce the supernatural part of what we are. They want to connect themselves with the angels and the power and the miracles and the signs and the wonders, but they don't want to buy into it. 
the spirit of Sodom. I got to hurry. He said, but if Sodom had seen what you had seen, they would have already repented and they would have still been here today. This is a heavy thought for me because this means that there are people who have been exposed to the goodness of God and have seen the mighty works of God, but they haven't been moved by what they've seen. And he said, what you have seen is enough that had Sodom seen it. Are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? Oh, what a wicked city. They were perverts. They were disgusting. The United States of America is just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, let me tell you something, church. Jesus said, had Sodom seen what you've seen, He said things that don't even move you anymore because you've become so familiar with it. It's powerful enough that it would have saved the most perverted city in the history of the Bible. So before we stand up and cast judgment on the United States of America, I'm saying tonight had Sodom seen it, they would have repented. You know what Sodom needs to see? You know what America needs to see? They need to see a mighty revival. They need to see an outpouring of the Spirit of God. If Sodom had seen it, they would have repented. You know what I believe tonight? If Anderson can see it, Anderson will repent. We've got to get this out of the church. We've got to get it in the city. We've got to get it on our jobs. We've got to get it to the people. He said, you've seen the power and you're unchanged. But it is so powerful that if Sodom had seen it, they would have repented and it still would have been there. I would hate to think that God would ever lift his hand off of his church and move it to Sodom. Because it would be easier for Sodom to be converted than it would for me to be moved. I know we're blessed. Y'all got a minute tonight? I know we're blessed. And I know we have great church. And I know there's nothing in this world like the power of Pentecost. Brother Gill said it this morning. In, in Bible class, he said that Pentecost is the fastest growing segment of Christianity in the world. And we give God praise and thanks for that. But there's something about this chapter that moves my soul. There's something about this chapter that grieves my spirit. When we have been exposed to the things that we have been exposed to. And none of these things move us anymore. We can hear preaching on eternity. We can hear preaching about heaven. And we can hear preaching about hell and we clap our hands and go about our business and go right back to normal life unmoved. I'm telling you this preaching and this word and this gospel is so powerful that if Sodom could hear it, they'd repent. I 
I'm not trying to be mean tonight, but in Pentecost, our answer is give me one more conference. Give me one more revival. Pastor, bring in one more evangelist. But the cry of hell is somebody go tell my brother. When that rich man went to hell, he said, anything I've got to do to get somebody to go to my brother's. He said, whatever you got to do, go tell them. It's amazing to me. Oh, God, help me tonight. It's amazing to me that we can hear the things that we hear and feel the things that we feel. And it doesn't even change us. It doesn't even challenge us. It doesn't even move us. I know I know you probably aren't going to like this, but I'm telling you as your pastor, I've been praying that God would shake you up. I've been praying that God would make you uncomfortable. I've been praying that God would do something in this church that would challenge our modus operandi. I've been praying that God would do something in this church that would challenge us to do more than just come together and dance and shout. And I want us to, but it's got to be deeper than that. The kingdom of God has come, and we've got to take the kingdom to the world. When you link all of this together, all the power of this together, Jesus is pointing to the boldness of John. And he's saying he had revelation and he had boldness. And then he stands up in front of these cities and he said, you have seen me do it, but you haven't repented. You have seen me do it, but you haven't moved. It doesn't matter how much boldness John has or how much revelation John has. It doesn't matter how great the preaching is. It doesn't matter how good the choir is. It doesn't matter how great the service is. We've got to have something that moves us to repentance. Almost there. And then he shifts gears again until you read in context, it doesn't feel like it connects. But he said, John had the revelation and he had the boldness to speak it. He said, You people have seen it happen, but it don't move you. He said, But come unto me. 28. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Come unto me. All you that are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. This is a beautiful passage. Because Jesus is speaking salvific language. This word rest that he speaks. Anapao is a word that means. Very simply that. What you would think of the word rest. He said when you, when, when you come. Everybody say come. He said, when you come to me, I'll give you rest. When you make your way to me, when you come to me, I will give you the rest. You follow what I'm saying? This is a very impactful word in the, in the Greek language. It, it, it's got a lot of emphasis on it. That Jesus is saying, if you'll just come, I will give. This is salvific. So when you, when you come... You're going to find the rest wherein the weary find rest. That was so good this morning. There's nothing like repenting of your sins, being baptized in Jesus' name, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. This is, this is salvific language. Come, 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 and let me give you that rest. But this next verse, there is such a shift in the gear. 
Because after he said, if you'll come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, he said, I will give you rest. The very next thing that comes out of his mouth in 29, he said, take my yoke. Watch this. He said, you come, I'll give you rest. Now I need you to take. This is, this is so powerful. Take my yoke upon you. When you take, when you take the yoke upon you, this is, this is the word for tonight. You completely lose your independence. Because now you're not just walking with him. You are yoked to him. He said, take my yoke on you and learn of me. Why, 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 what, 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 what do you mean learning of me? A yoke, th this word yoke, is, it is the actual words that are used to yoke two animals together. Where they walk together in the field. You understand? But the reason he speaks of this in rabbinic language is because as rabbis would teach, they called their doctrines yokes. In other words, as they teach the word of God, you decide that you're going to yoke yourself to what they believe and what they teach. So Jesus took 12 men and he yoked them up with him. That means everywhere he goes, I believe what he preaches. Everything he says, I agree with it. I have released myself from the independence of having my own ideas and my own philosophies. I have yoked myself up with the rabbi and I believe what he's preaching. Jesus said, take my yoke on you. In other words, you got to stop thinking independently on your own that someday there's going to be another wave that comes and there's going to be a new doctrine that comes and there's going to be a new way of baptism that comes and there's going to be a new way into the kingdom that comes. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He said, I want you to take what I've been telling you and I want you to buy into this. He said, take my yoke. And you shall find, somebody say find. And you shall find rest unto your souls. It's interesting to find. He said, when you come to me, I'll give you rest. That it's a completely different word than it is when he said, you shall find rest. The first rest that he mentions is resting from your labor. The second rest that he mentions is resting from searching. He said, if you'll take my yoke on you, you'll stop searching. It's, it's language that says, you have betrothed yourself to me. You have taken yourself off the market. Church family, I'm standing before you on this Sunday night to tell you, there will never be another way into the kingdom of God. There's not going to be a new door because it's the 21st century. I'm sorry, but God's not handing out new revelation. God is not going to wait until 2023 to tell somebody a new revelation on how to be saved. you got to yoke up with this thing and fall in love with this thing. Had Sodom seen this, they would have been saved. If Sodom would have seen this, they would have repented. you got to yoke up with it. Would you stand with me tonight? There's a vast difference in coming to him and yoking up with him. 
When you come to him, he gives you rest in your body and in your mind. But when you yoke up with him, there is rest for your soul. I'm standing before you tonight to tell you that I don't want to be yoked up with anything else. I don't want to be yoked up to anybody else. He said, yoke up to me and learn. Listen, if you open up your Bible and read, there is nowhere in the scripture that anybody was ever saved any other way than repenting of their sins, being baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins. And receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And everywhere they got it. They spoke with other tongues. God is not going to wait for the 21st century to say you don't have to talk in tongues anymore to get the Holy Ghost. I believe that if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. I believe if he did it for the first century church, he'll do it for the 21st century church. But you got to quit overthinking this and you got to yoke yourself up with it and say if they had it in the Bible, then I want it for me. I want you to know about me. I want you to yoke yourself up with me. I want you to connect yourself with me. There is no revelation that's ever going to come that's any greater than the revelation that's been given. But we've got to be willing as the body of Christ to yoke ourselves up to this. I'm telling you, I've been so moved by this chapter over the last few days because I believe that the things that I take for granted are powerful enough that it would have made Sodom repent. Lot, if you would have exposed Sodom to the things that your uncle Abraham exposed you to, somebody in Sodom would have repented. You know what's sad to me? is that all of Sodom was lost because they didn't see it. There's a heavy weight on the church of God in the 21st century that we're going to have to go into the world and tell people about the difference that He's made in us. I've done my best in the last 23 years to pour myself out in this city and I preach to you people week in and week out. And I want to give you my best. A couple weeks ago, one of my dear friends, the pastor, he sent me a text on Sunday, right before church on Sunday night. He said, it's usually right about now that I'm looking for something to preach. I said, yeah, I understand. And he made this statement, kind of convicted me. He said, bro, he said, sometimes I think we spend a lot of time and energy trying to teach full people how to eat. But some of the things that we reject because we're so full of it, we're overdosed on preaching. But he said, what you, what you have seen, what you have heard, what you've experienced, it's so powerful that Sodom would have still been here if they could have seen it. I want us to lift our hands to the Lord tonight. I thank God for this precious church. 
But somebody in this city needs to know about the goodness of the Lord. This is, this is not about church growth. This is not about how many people we can fit in seats. This is the fact that Sodom is going to be lost because they didn't get a chance to see it. Oh God, would you cry out to the Lord right now? Come on, church. You're waiting on us to go through the motions right now. You're waiting on the music to start. You're waiting on them to start singing. That's what I'm telling you right now. If Sodom could feel what we feel in this altar call right now, they would have repented. Woo! You got family members that if they could feel what you feel in this house tonight, they'd repent. You've got children that if they could see what you see in here tonight, they'd repent. For Sodom's sake, we've got to show somebody. So, somebody needs to know. Had Sodom seen. Had Sodom seen.